As we come now to God's Word, I'll ask you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark in chapter 8. That's Mark chapter 8. And as you turn there, would you please pray with me? Our Father, would you open our eyes that we might behold the wondrous things in your law? Father, we know that on our own we are really blind, that we cannot see without you. So would you give us eyes to see, guide us by your Spirit, and help us here to believe. Bring us to trust so that in the end we might bring you worship. Father, these things now we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're reading from Mark chapter 8, just a handful of verses this morning. We'll begin in verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him, that's Jesus, some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. This is God's word. So this morning, we're celebrating, or at least remembering, Palm Sunday, uh, which won't happen for us in the book of Mark for another few chapters still. This is in chapter 11 in Mark's gospel. We also call this the triumphal entry. This is the time when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, you'll remember, and people laid down their cloaks, sort of making a red carpet for him as he went, waving the palm branches. Have we done this in our church before? Where the waving of palm branches, and I remember as a kid, you walk around waving things and have no idea why, but it's fun to get to wave things around during church. And, uh, and they'd lay all these things down as Jesus came into Jerusalem, and they would cry out, Hosanna! which basically means, save us, we pray, or save us now. It's a call for Jesus to do something. And during this time, as all of this is happening, there's a huge crowd that's really drawn around him. It was a very public scene. And this is typical of the end of Jesus' ministry in the, uh, the months and even a year or so leading up to his death, that it was very public. In fact, last week we saw in chapter, uh, in chapter 8 that Jesus was feeding 4,000 people. So huge crowds all at once. Now, this account is very different from that. There are things that are unique about this. There's a few, just a few occasions in the Gospels where Jesus has a very private moment with a person. And sometimes it even talks about Jesus telling them to not tell anyone or to keep things secret. It's not because he's going into a back alley and trying to shush everybody, but that's a reminder to us that he doesn't want to disrupt the timing of his primary purpose, which is what happens on Easter, which is next week. 
that he's really headed toward the cross to take upon himself the sin of all believers and to bring that to death, that he would conquer death and be resurrected. That's where he's headed, but he's not there yet. This morning he's with a particular guy, a blind guy, and you'll see in verse 23 it says, he took him by the hand and led him outside of the village. They're not, it's not just the two of them. There's probably a handful of the disciples that were there, but this is a very private moment for them. And in that private moment, as part of the healing, it says he spits. I don't know whether he spat in his hand and then used that, or whether he just kind of went for it, mouth to eyes. I, 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 that sounds odd to me. Um, I think it's likely that he probably spit in his hands, but Mark doesn't tell us. It just says that Jesus spit, and then he touched the man. This is very similar to what we saw earlier in chapter 7 with the, uh, with the man who was mute. But what's most curious about this is not the spitting, it's not the private time, it's not the laying on of hands. What's most curious is what happens in verse 24. After Jesus had laid his hands on the man, the man, in verse 24, looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. There's a part of that that's funny to me, the very specific imagery. They look like trees. Maybe some of us even feel like this. If I take my glasses off, you all don't look like trees. Maybe bushes, little clumps of blurs. They're not quite that bad. I can see general faces, but those of us that need glasses may understand what this is like. What's interesting about this is that this man's sight, at least initially, is only partly healed that Jesus has to lay his hands on him a second time. And I wonder what that man felt. I can't help it. We don't really know, but I, I wonder these things after that first time. I mean, Jesus had just spit on him and laid hands on him. And when he opened his eyes and saw something, but it looks like trees walking around, did he feel thankful? Did he feel disappointed? Maybe both some measure of thankfulness, some measure of disappointment. But whatever the man felt, for us as we read this, we have to go, what's happening here? Because we know Jesus normally, when he heals people, it's instantaneous. We saw with the man in chapter 7 that his, when Jesus said, ears be opened, instantly his ears were opened and he could hear uh, perfectly and he could speak perfectly. Usually when Jesus heals, it is all in an instant and perfect healing, but here it's different. It almost looks like an accident, a mistake, uh, whoops. Is this an accident? And I'd say, no. Let me show you why. This is the only time that Jesus asks the person that he's healing a question right after the healing or during the healing. Usually, when he heals someone, he pronounces them, he makes some sort of declaration, be healed, or he tells them to do something, go and do this, or go and don't do this. But here, he asks the man a question. The question is in verse 23. Jesus asks him, do you see anything? And you'll notice that Jesus asks that question before the man opens his eyes in verse 24. 
So it's not that the man opened his eyes, scrunched his face up, kind of squinted and looked at, you could tell if someone's having trouble seeing, scrunched his face and looked around, and then Jesus goes, ooh, do you see anything? No, it's the other way around. Jesus touches the man, spits somehow, spits somehow involved. I don't know why, but, uh, but somehow in this occasion it's involved. And then before the man opens his eyes, Jesus asks him, do you see anything? That's important for us because it's as if Jesus knows that initially this healing was only going to be a partial healing. It reminds me of, this is a little embarrassing, but when I was younger, um, I used to play around with card magic, um, shuffling cards, and is this your card, is this your card? It wasn't very good, but I knew a couple of things. And you've probably seen this on TV, maybe in real life, the really good people. It's really fascinating. Oh, oh, that was my card. I can't believe you knew. But sometimes uh, there are particular tricks where, you know, you pick a card and you put it back in the deck and the person shuffles it up and does all these fancy things. And then they pull out your card and say, is this your card? And you go, nope. <laughs> I got you. That wasn't it. You made some sort of mistake. And sometimes they did make a mistake, especially when I was a kid. It's like, oh, whoops, different trick. But sometimes that's not the case. They say, this isn't your card? Hmm. Was it this one? No, it wasn't. Boy, you're really messing this up. Well, let's see where your card is. And we shuffle through the deck and look at all. My card's not even in there anymore. Where is your card? Check your back pocket. How did that get in there? You know, that's the, that's the experience. That on one level, it seems like something is, has gone awry. Something has sort of taken a left turn that we didn't intend for it. But in the case of the card magician, sometimes they really know what they're doing. And this isn't a card trick here. I mean, this is a man's physical sight. So we're not just playing around here, but I think that Jesus has specifically designed it this way for him, that he has a particular purpose in healing this man in this way. So then the question for us is, why does Jesus only initially partly heal the man? To answer that, we want to cooperate with Mark. We know as we read the scripture, we don't just get to kind of think, oh, it's probably this and probably this and probably this, that as we read and, and, and uh, that we're trying to cooperate with the writer. What is Mark the writer and what is the Holy Spirit trying to tell me in doing this? And I think it matters here. So as we're asking, what purpose does Jesus have in this partial healing? Christ himself does not tell us, but I think Mark does. Because if you remember, if you were here with us last week, if you back up just a little bit in chapter 8, Jesus has spoken to the disciples about seeing in verses 17 and 18. He says, don't you perceive or understand? Do you have eyes and not see? And then in verse 21, don't you yet understand? He's commenting on the disciples' lack of ability to see. 
But then right after, so that's what happens immediately before this event. What happens immediately after this is Jesus is asking his disciples, who am I? And Peter pipes up and says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one who was to come. And Peter's right. So he sees now. He's gone from not seeing to seeing. But then right after that event, which we'll get to talk about next week in more depth, Jesus says, I'm going to die. And they say, no, 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 you won't. So they're missing something. What's really happening here is the disciples have gone from blindness to seeing, but only seeing partly, at least for now. The scripture is full of these sorts of discussions of seeing, but the purpose here is that Jesus gives eyes to see and that seeing is often revealed in waves. Jesus gives us eyes, I'll say that again, Jesus gives us eyes to see, but that seeing is often revealed in waves so that we only partly see. Paul touches on this idea in 1 Corinthians 13 when he says, we see as in a mirror dimly, as if you'd just gotten out of the shower, if you take nice hot showers like I like to do, and there's the fog on the mirror, and maybe you run your fingers through that, and you've got kind of the greasy-looking mirror there, that I can see myself to some degree, but I see as in a mirror dimly. I'm only seeing partly. John is full of these sorts of metaphors of light and dark and being able to see, as Jesus himself calls himself, the light of the world who brings believers out of darkness. Isaiah talks about uh, this suffering servant who would bring the prisoners out of darkness and open the eyes of the blind. But my favorite account of people coming to see is in 2 Kings chapter 6. You can turn there with me. What's happening in this situation in 2 Kings 6 is Israel is battling Syria, two different groups of people. And the king of Syria, so there's wars going on. The king of Syria keeps trying to attack Israel from different spots, but they keep getting interrupted because Elisha, which is one of the prophets of God, is tipping off the king of Israel, telling the king of Israel what the king of Syria is about to do. So it's this little insight that the Lord has given him into what's happening with the Syrian army. It's reached the point that the Syrian king thinks that there's a spy in his own circles because it has happened every time. So that's where we pick up in 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 11. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants to them and said, show me which one of us is for the king of Israel. In other words, who is spying on us? Verse 12. And one of the king of Syria's servants said, no one, my lord, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. How's that for a little creepy? There you go. And the king said, well, go see where this man Elijah, Elisha is, that I may send and seize him. And it was told, behold, he's in Dothan. So the king sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. So what's happening here is Elisha and his, ser and his servant are in this small city, Dothan, and the king of Syria is now sending hordes of armies uh, to deal with this single guy, the prophet of God, Elisha. Watch what happens. 
verse 15. When the servant of Elisha, the man of God, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, there was an army with horses and chariots all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what should we do? And Elisha said to him, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open my servant's eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. But somehow, we don't know exactly how this happened, but Elisha was able to see what is happening even in the spiritual world, that the Lord had sent his own armies to protect him. But the servant doesn't know that. He's going, all I see are the armies of Syria around us. And Elisha just says, Lord, open his eyes so that he may see, so that they see physically what's happening in the spiritual world. That's happening to some degree, what's happening uh, with the blind man in the Gospel of Mark. That physical sight here is an illustration of what's happening with spiritual sight, that the eyes of our heart come to see. In some measure, that's actually what's happening in Palm Sunday as well. So there's all these folks that are gathering in Jerusalem. Jesus is riding in on his donkey, and everyone's uh, putting down their cloaks, waving the palm branches, and they're shouting out, Hosanna, save us, essentially restore our nation. It's, I guess, their version of make Israel great again, if I can say that. And there's something to that, that Israel had really been oppressed by the Romans for a long time, and they're crying out to be saved by Jesus. But they're only partially seeing there. They're only seeing like people that look like trees walk, walking around because Christ did not come primarily to save them from the Romans. Christ came to save them from their sin. They saw, but only to a degree. Paul picks up on this idea in 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, I'll read a few verses from here as well. When he talks about things that are veiled, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 3. Even if our gospel is veiled, Paul writes, it's veiled or hidden to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. In essence, he said here that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is veiled. It's as if it's behind a sheet because Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. There is a real work that's happening here. And they cannot see. But here comes Christ who brings light out of darkness that shines lights 
in our hearts. Paul says in Acts chapter 26 that he was sent to open the eyes of our heart, to turn us from darkness to light, to turn us from Satan to God, to turn us from sin to forgiveness and holiness. When the veil's removed from the gospel, then we can actually see that we're sinners, that we're desperately in the need of the mercy of Jesus. Uh, just a few weeks ago, Laura and I started playing peekaboo. Not with each other. Um, I mean, I guess we could. <laughs> peekaboo. Well, I'll leave that alone. Uh, started playing peekaboo with Eliza. It's supposed to be good for their mental development, I guess. I've, I've learned we read too many books about these sorts of things. And, um, but it's, it helps for the concept of object permanence which is basically the idea that things still exist even when you can't see them. We actually have to learn that as infants, apparently, that if I'm covered up with a sheet, at some point she thinks that I've disappeared. But if I peekaboo, oh, I'm still there. But now I'm covered with a sheet, oh, he's gone. Peekaboo, oh, I, I, he's still there. And we learn that that object behind the sheet is permanent, that it remains there, that it hasn't just disappeared completely. Uh, to some degree, that's what's happening here. And Paul talks about our blindness to the gospel, that the gospel is veiled. It's the reason why, by the way, when the gospel is veiled, why we reject it. But it still exists even when we can't see it. Whether we see it or not, our sin is there. And whether we see it or not, Jesus is still there. Whether we see him or not, Jesus is still king. And whether we see it or not, forgiveness is still there for all who would trust in Christ as a savior of sinners. Um, I used to say to some of, those, uh, some of my friends in Alaska when we were meeting several people, if there is a bear next to you, it does not help to just close your eyes. Because he's there whether I see him or not. So what's happening in all of these situations is that seeing is not actually changing my external reality. But when Jesus brings us to see, he is changing our understanding of that reality. So a an unbeliever who doesn't believe, does not see, it doesn't change anything that's happening outside. It just changes my understanding of it. But when Jesus brings us to believe, brings us to faith, it's as if he puts on spiritual glasses on our eyes and we go, oh yes, now I see that I am a desperate, needy sinner. And yes, now I know that I need Jesus and I want to come to him. I, I need his grace. I want his faith produced in me. All of this, uh, at least to me and I hope also to you, is a comfort this idea of seeing, and not only seeing, but seeing in stages or seeing in waves. Because I want to be able to fully see things. I want to be able to fully understand. I want to know Jesus in his fullness. But usually life does not happen that way. Christ reveals himself to us in waves. And that's the way that life plays out as well. That we're usually seeing, but only partly there's a lot of things we don't understand when I, you know, when we're in college, 
or trying to figure out our career, and I feel like I see, but only partly, it looks like just trees walking around. Or when the doctor calls with bad news and says, you need to come into my office. I might see, but it only looks like trees maybe walking around. Or when life circumstances change and there's not enough money anymore to cover all the things that we need to cover and we have to make hard decisions about where to tighten the budget, I might see, but only as trees walking around. Or when we retire and we might struggle with finding our purpose or place in life or what to do now or what to do next. We might see to some degree, but only as trees walking around. And most especially the disciples who devoted their lives to following Jesus and then one day he's killed on a cross and you've got to think, oh, he's going to get out of this somehow. But then he breathes his last breath says it's finished and dies. And they might see, but it just looks like trees walking around. The comfort in that to me is that my level of seeing has not actually changed the external reality. That even when I can't see or understand, it all just looks like a bunch of trees, that Jesus still really is king. Perhaps even when we struggle to see, he's most king. Here's what I mean by that. Because it is not enough for Jesus just to be king. It's not even enough for Jesus to be proclaimed as king as he was on Palm Sunday. Jesus wants us to rest, trust, and lean on him as king. And I think then that's the reason why he gives us spiritual sight in waves. Because when he gives us just a little bit, I still have to depend upon him. This is different for humans, for parents, for teachers, for coaches. We want to teach our kids independence. And that's, that's actually a good thing. We're teaching them how to make good choices how to, you know, follow different paths of life, how to make good decisions. We're teaching our kids to stand on their own. That's part of maturity. Um, Till one day, maybe they become parents and teachers and coaches themselves. The difference for God is the Lord is not teaching us independence. The Lord is teaching us dependence because I will never become the Lord. He will always be the Lord. He will always be God, and we will always need him. I need to be reminded of that. So even when the, I can see, but only to a degree, when Christ asks me, Nathan, what do you see? And I say, it looks like there's trees walking around. That even in a moment like that, I can take his arm and say, Lord, I trust you to lead me. And that itself is a new kind of seeing. It's really a seeing of truth. Until one day in the end, the Lord fully 
restores all of our sight. And we see all things clearly with eyes wide open, seeing Christ in his fullest glory. And finally, we know him then as a far greater king than I ever could have imagined. In the meantime, when it's trees walking around, he's still king, and so we can trust him. Would you please pray with me? Our Father, we do ask for eyes that see, but only so far as we still remain dependent on you. We want to deeply trust you always. Teach us to lean upon you, to rest upon you, and to trust in you. Otherwise, we will make ourselves kings. We do praise you for the times that you guide us when our sight is dim, when we don't understand all that's happening, and we long for the day that eventually you open our eyes in fullness. In the meantime, remind us again that you are God. We ask all of these things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.